InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. It's a form of abuse that relatively few are aware of. It's called educational sabotage. Here with the details, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Ordinarily, discussions about domestic violence center on a spouse or partner's physical violence, but rarely do we hear about a different form of abuse that can be hard to recognize, yet its effects can be profound. Joining us now is Rachel Voth Schrog, Assistant Professor in the School of Social Work at the University of Texas at Arlington. Professor, you just completed a study on what you call educational sabotage. First, let's have you define that. Educational sabotage is a form of coercive controlling behaviors that a partner who also might use violence or emotional abuse can use to sabotage their partner's academic achievements and thus their future economic power. It's things like preventing them from obtaining educational professional credentials, which could be in because of disrupting childcare, it could be disrupting transportation to school, it could be undermining their self-confidence and their ability to achieve their educational goals, or it could be disrupting financial aid or other economic strategies for achieving education. Are most of the victims women, and do we have an estimate as to how many victims are sabotaged in this way? We don't. This study was a qualitative study. It was a set of interviews with 20 survivors of educational sabotage, and they were all women, but we don't know what the gender breakdown is of people who are experiencing educational sabotage. We do know that domestic violence is experienced by about one in four women in the United States, and between one in seven and one in 10 men in the United States. So if, as I suspect, educational sabotage is similarly broken down, we would expect that women would be the primary, although certainly not the only, victims of educational sabotage. And what are the long-term effects of educational sabotage? Education is a profound tool for long-term economic power. So limiting someone's educational attainment really disrupts their future economic opportunities and their future opportunities for safety and security. So it can be profoundly devastating. And there are other effects as well, I would think, emotional, mental health challenges. Did you see any of these with the people you studied? You know, one of the things that survivors talked about was the the negative impact on their sense of well-being and their sense that they have the ability to achieve academically. More broadly, we know that domestic violence is linked to a range of negative mental health outcomes, including increased risk of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and suicidality. And so it would make sense that these behaviors are part of that link that we see. And on the flip side of that, your study of the survivors did indicate a positive reaction. Was there some motivation to reverse the effects of this problem? That's right. Many survivors talked about the way that experiencing that barrier really instilled a desire to overcome and achieve. One survivor told a story of a night when she had been told by her partner that she was going to fail the big geography test she had the next day. But it was a test she was very anxious about and she was getting lots of negative messages. You can't do this. You're going to fail this. You shouldn't even try. And the B that she got on that test was incredibly motivating. She actually wrote, you're going to fail at the top of the test and used that as motivation to succeed and to continue on. Is that a pattern that others could follow? 
I think so. Several survivors talked about really the motivation to overcome, to achieve, and to build an economic and educational future for themselves and often their children that would give them back the power. What is the reason that a spouse or significant other would try to sabotage a partner's educational career? We know that domestic violence is about power and control. And gaining educational credentials, gaining economic ability and capability is all about that person obtaining power and control. So it's really a disruption in the relationship and where there has been a pattern of coercive controlling behavior, trying to gain education that will give you individual economic power is threatening. It disrupts that balance. So the reasoning is really about the disruption to that power and control relationship. We're visiting with Rachel Voth-Schrag, assistant professor at the University of Texas at Arlington, regarding domestic abuse to curtail a partner's education. Professor, do colleges and other schools have a responsibility to push out education about educational sabotage and perhaps even offer services to victims? You know, I think we absolutely do. And one of the wonderful things that we've seen in Texas and around the country is that universities are investing in campus-based advocacy, in education, in awareness campaigns, in opportunities for students to learn about healthy relationships and what mutuality and egalitarianism looks like in relationships. So there's really been an upswing in a wide range of strategies that universities are using to address educational sabotage specifically and domestic violence and intimate partner violence on campus more broadly. Now, I want to go back to your mention that an abuser might disrupt a victim's financial aid. How could that be done? In many states, things like financial aid checks, Pell checks, money that you might have coming in as part of a campus job, or money that you as a couple have agreed to set aside for college, comes in as a check to the family. And so the expectation then is that you spend it on, for example, books, or you spend it on housing, or you spend it on lab fees or internship fees, for example. And if a partner takes that and spends it on something else or takes it for themselves and doesn't participate in using the money as it's intended, it can really create negative effects that mean that that survivor has outstanding student loan debt without the accompanying educational achievements that are designed to pay back that debt and to really make it a smart financial decision. Title IX, the civil rights law against sex discrimination, also applies to sexual violence. Now, could victims use protections under Title IX to fight back against sexual violence or intimidation that could be part of educational sabotage? Absolutely. So Title IX on college campuses, is, it was initially really brought to the forefront as relates to women's participation in sports. But more recently, it's become one of the guiding policy frameworks for responding to sexual violence on campus. Students have rights under Title IX to have access to the campus community. So if violence is occurring on campus or if it's interrupting their educational attainment, universities really have a responsibility under Title IX to do what they can to stop that violence and to help the student be successful. And again, to give a sense of what this could look like, intimidation that we talked about could simply be stalking a significant other on college campuses, couldn't it? Absolutely. And many universities now have policies that help students access campus police or other campus resources to get escorts from place to place, if that's something they're worried about, and to help the universities enforce protective orders that might be in place off campus on campus as well. 
In some cases, is educational sabotage so subtle that some survivors actually don't recognize this type of abuse? Perhaps someone had to point it out to them. I would suspect so. Often, relationship violence can look different from the outside of a relationship. And sometimes an initial controlling behavior can seem almost sweet or caring. But as it becomes more controlling and more preventing a survivor from achieving the aims that they have, the goals that they have, sometimes it really takes a while to escalate before it's really clear that that's what's going on. So for some survivors, for example, one time not being able to follow through on childcare might just be the kind of things that happens in day-to-day life in relationships. But when it becomes a pattern, maybe every test all of a sudden the child care is not there or every time there's a major presentation that that survivor is planning on or working on, it might become clear over time, but not initially that that's what's going on. Rachel Voth-Schrag, assistant professor at the University of Texas at Arlington, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.